0: Welcome to Offshoot,
1: the Fident Capital podcast with host Kevin Choquette. Offshoot is a curiosity-driven conversation that features a wide range of real estate and business professionals. In each episode, we unpack the knowledge, vantage point, and domain expertise
0: of our guests. Then we move beyond the facts and figures and dive into the personal habits and mindset which allow them to be high performers in their respective field. This podcast's objective is simple, supporting entrepreneurs fostering relationships, and uncovering meaningful conversations that positively impact business. Welcome to episode 16 of Offshoot with Sarah Kruer-Jagger. Sarah's come into her family business, not by design, but through circumstance. Since joining the firm, she's become an absolute powerhouse in the commercial real estate industry and an epic role model for those aspiring to get into the juiciest part of the apartment business. Sarah's team of 14 stems from a decades-long family partnership and it punches way above its weight. In this open conversation, she portrays a lot of the attributes that feed her success and the Monarch Group's continued progress. Listen in as she covers, The family adversity that brought her into the business and navigating that bittersweet time. Monarch's mandate to get every deal right while building assets to own them long-term. Creating alignment in their team through a lean and mean culture, along with financial incentives. Staying in your niche and avoiding style drift. And how tumultuous times in real estate often bring the best deals and the importance of conviction when that uncertainty is high avoiding a merchant building reality by putting skin in the game, working on complex sites to secure a great land basis, and keeping time on your side. The importance of great relationships and teams, and getting out there, taking risk, and showing up to learn and grow. And finally, the importance of taking care of yourself so that you can take care of others. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Offshoot. Today, we've got my friend, a longtime professional acquaintance, Sarah kruer Jagger, a partner of Monarch Group on the pod. Monarch Group is a private real estate investment and development firm based in San Diego that's focused on entitlement, development, and acquisition of institutional quality apartment communities in the western U.S. The founding partner's aggregate entitlement development and direct property investment track record encompasses over 19,000 residential units. Sarah joined Monarch in 2005 as a founding member of the Monarch Private Equity Funds. She works closely with the founding partners to set the strategic direction and overall day-to-day business activities for all of Monarch's wholly owned and joint venture investments. In that capacity, she leads the acquisition, pre-development, finance, asset management, and disposition functions, as well as manages relationships with Monarch's community and capital partners. During her tenure at Monarch, Sarah has acquired, developed, and sold over a billion dollars in real estate investments, including over 7,800 residential units. Prior to Monarch, Sarah worked at UBS Investment Bank in Chicago in the Mergers and Acquisitions and Diversified Industrials Group. Sarah graduated from the University of Michigan School of Business with a Bachelor of Business Administration and received her MBA from Wharton School with a major in finance. Notably, Sarah's time at the University of Michigan was courtesy of a four year full tuition athletic scholarship for the Division I varsity women's golf team. That fact, which I'd never known, really helps me understand why I've been completely bludgeoned to death the few times I've been on the golf course with her. Sarah, welcome to the podcast.
1: Thank you, Kevin, for having me. I guess there's no mercy on the golf course. but
0: <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, and it's the classic thing where the golfer's really quiet about their skills. Oh, yeah, I play a little bit. But uh, <laughs> thank you for doing this. Thank you for taking the time. I appreciate it.
1: It's great. No, it's an honor to be with you. I feel I feel like you and I do this every time we talk anyways, just kind of BSing about, about everything going on in the world and views. So uh, I guess we're making it official now here.
0: There you go. <laughs> Recorded for posterity. Um, <laughs> So to start, could you just tell me a bit about Monarch Group in, in your own words? I know I gave the, the sort of elevator bit, but how do you think of Monarch?
1: Yeah, you, you covered quite a bit of it. Uh, we're, I, I guess what I would add to that, you know, we're a see, local San Diego-based, multi-generation local business. Um, you talked about what we do. We're apartment developers. I guess what I would add, um, a couple of things, I think kind of most important off the bat, you know, we've all, you know, I was born and raised in San Diego, my partner's, have been here, you know, together, you know, building apartments for over 50 years. This is our hometown. Um, and you know, we care a tremendous amount about this community or invested in it in a lot of different ways beyond just work. Um, and I think as a part of that and a part of kind of the passion and how much we love our business and what we get to do day to day, um, we're really committed to kind of, you know, hopefully being a part of the housing solution because, you know, God knows we got to, um, you know, there, there are a lot of things we got to do to continue to build a lot more housing and, you know, a lot of other things that go, go along with that that I'm sure we'll talk about. Um, but I guess that's what I would add. You know, we're a family business. Uh, we love what we do. Um, love working, you know, kind of, again, with government, public sector, private sector uh, to be a good partner. Um, and hopefully, again, delivering, you know, some much needed uh, housing solutions, uh, being a part of that.
0: Very good. The, the last guest I had on, um, he is just starting um, in investment management. Company it's called T Two, and from the outset, he's been articulating that it's a kind of multi generational investment, which I find surprising given that they're, I think they're only six or seven years into the the venture. I wonder when the founders got this going, did they have that kind of uh, idea that it was going to be multi generational?
1: You know, I don't know. It's a good question for them. Uh, you know, it, the way Monarch started uh, was really coming out of, and I think, you know, so many businesses, big and small, you know, start when times are pretty awful in the world. And uh, my dad and my, my dad, Pat, my Uncle Tim, uh, who'd been building apartments together since the late 60s, uh, my dad ended up in San Diego um, through the Navy after Vietnam, uh, didn't finish college, came out here, uh, you know, through the Navy and started building apartments, um, and my uncle... Kind of came out and followed him, and actually another one of their brothers came out. Um, you know, kind of family business uh, again since late '60s, early '70s. And fast forward, um, they they formed Monarch in '96, '97, coming out of the Gulf War recession, which was pretty pretty awful. Um, and formed Monarch with uh, with Rod Stone and his son Ryan, um, who just come back from Atlanta. Uh, again, pretty crummy time to be doing things. I mean, very different world, Kevin, than where we are today. Our business obviously has become, you know, very institutional over the last couple of decades. And, you know, back when they had started Monarch, not, you know, not that long ago, um, you know, going out and finding pieces of dirt for 20,000 a unit in San Diego, people thought they were crazy. And, And this was, this was in really nice parts of town. Um, you know, a lot of the institutional capital, et cetera, wasn't there the way, the way we have it today. But, um, uh, so they've, you know, seen a lot of cycles, been through a lot of things, but for Monarch again, coming out of Gulf War recession, um, fast forward. Um, so it started actually, right. It kind of started as a multi-generation business with, with, uh, with Rod and his son Ryan in a lot of ways. Um, you know, I, I think maybe that, you know, b- back of the mind, but you know, I think at the end of the day for them, um, and I, we can talk about how I ended up here cause it was in a very roundabout way. It was, it was not intentioned, um. So I think they're, they're, you know, like like I guess everything in life, but, uh, um, you know, I, I think it's kind of a, it's the icing on the cake, if you will, uh, that we, we, you know, the, the family has kind of stayed together and we've got an amazing team that obviously goes, you know, well beyond that. Um, but uh, yeah, it's an amazing thing to get to do what you love every day with, you know, with the, the people you love, right? And that's, when, that's a combination of family and non-family.
0: Absolutely. When Pat and Tim started building apartments, I just want to understand is there a distinction between building as in like general contracting or were they developers at that point as well?
1: They were developers early on. Okay. Um, okay. you know, my, when my, when, when my uncle Tim came back, um, he'd finished school at university of Michigan, um, and also gotten his master's in architecture. So he was kind of an architect by background, um, really became a builder, um, mm-hmm. himself, uh, with it, with, you know, we have, we have always had kind of an affiliated GC entity, uh, kind of fully vertically integrated, mm-hmm. um, but, uh, but yeah, they started out kind of as developers, kind of going out, raising the capital, uh, taking all the development risk, uh, in very, you know, kind of very different time in terms of how deals were capitalized and, you know, amount of equity and so forth that was needed. But, uh, out of the gates, they were, they were always developers.
0: That's great. I didn't realize you guys were yet another, uh, Navy person who decided not to leave San Diego. Yeah. yeah. There's just a couple of them around. Um. Well, look, so you mentioned it, your day-to-day. I mean, my perspective is you're basically running the place, but I obviously don't uh, walk the halls of monarchs. I don't really know that. But what does your day-to-day look like?
1: Yeah, we've got, so right now, you know, there's, there's, you know, kind of five key partners. So I run the business day-to-day, but with all of them, um, and we all bring, you know, very different perspective to the table, which is, and we've all worked together now for, you know, God, I don't know, 18, 19 years at least that I've been there um, and if not longer. So, uh, you know, there's a collegiality, there's an amazing culture, everything is very blunt. Um, you know, and I think that's, you know, in a, you know, and sometimes it's kind of messy, but that's how we are, you know, lean and mean and nimble and, and, and hopefully you're kind of getting to the right, you know, kind of making the right decisions as we, you know, decide how we allocate, you know, how we allocate our capital, you know, evaluating risk, you know, et cetera. And then as we kind of move through the life cycle of the deal. Um, so, you know, I spend a lot of my time, I guess from a day to day, yes, kind of running the business, um, you know, and everything from sourcing and capitalizing, you know, the deals that we ultimately do, uh, taking them through, kind of putting the team together, uh, running them through the, you know, kind of acquisition, the pre development, the entitlement phase, um, you know, working with the community, working with our capital partners, you know, all the way up the capital stack, um, you know, and really sort of ultimately, hopefully, teeing them up successfully to hand them over to, uh, you know, our construction team. Um, probably a little bit less active uh, through construction, but we are still very, very hands-on. And, you know, nine times out of 10, we're, we are the affiliated GC. So, you know, very active in that. And then, you know, I guess I kind of jump back in and get more active again post-construction. So, you know, asset management, we, we used to have a property management firm. That's maybe the one piece in terms of the vertical integration that we, we no longer have, but we've Um, had, you know, really good success partnering with best in class, uh, property management companies, whether that's, you know, an institutional partner that has a management platform or a third party that we've done a lot of business with. Um, so, you know, but, but again, still being a very active owner day to day on the asset management, um, overseeing the property management piece and, um, you know, all the other things that come with kind of operations and, you know, permanent financing, setting, you know, setting those projects up um, for the long haul after we, you know, get through all the crazy, crazy on the entitlement and development.
0: I think you and I would have talked about this before, but, um, for years, I've had this vantage point, um, that developers are for the most part underpaid. Um, and I know that's not necessarily a popular opinion in the broader population, but for the risks that are taken on and the kind of complexity that you just detailed from, you know, inception, uh, to acquisition entitlement, uh, right-sizing your capital stack, putting together your team of consultants, you know, finding the right property managers, doing the capitalization, doing the capitalization on refinance, managing all of the expected, unexpected, uh, and even <laughs> the not expected. Um, you know, there's a ton of risk, in, but in all of the attributes that you just went through, which part of it is is today proving to be the the hardest to navigate. What's the part that is holding back Monarch Group
1: the most? You know, there's a lot to break down there, Kevin. Let me answer your yeah. question, but then I want to come back to kind of put it into context for folks that are listening, because 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 I you and I talk about this all the time, right? The kind of the developer as an entrepreneur and kind of what that really looks like and framing that. Um, and maybe I'll start there, and then I'll answer your question. Um, but I, you know, exactly what you said, right? This business today is incredibly capital intensive. Land is not cheap. Uh, costs continue to rise. Um, you know, you've got to put a lot of, you know, obviously you got to go get debt. You got to put a lot of equity into projects. You know, and in terms of kind of framing this, you know, our sweet spot as a company is doing, you know, call it three to five, what I'd call institutional, you know, size quality deals at any given time. So call it, you know, sweet spot two hundred and fifty ish to three hundred units ground up development. And so on each one of those projects. Um, you know, kind of as you alluded to, right, we got to go out, um, buy a piece of land or get some time through long option to take it through whatever that entitlement period looks like, you know, that will cost on a project of that size, uh, in terms of, you know, and there's a lot of different costs, but, but the vast majority of it is getting those plans done, right. Getting the construction drawings done and teeing the project up. And that can, that can cost a couple million dollars easily. And we haven't even talked about the time component and some of the things that can, can happen to slow you down there. Um, but that's a couple million dollars out of pocket off the bat above and beyond, you know, whatever that land cost is, which is, you know, could be in the, you know, potentially tens of millions depending on the, the, the structure. Um, so, you know, before we've even put shovels in the ground, um, you know, we've got to navigate and, and this comes back to a lot of things, that particular site, the zoning, how quickly you can move in, 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 California, which is where we're focused. Um, but yeah, you're, you're easily out of pocket, you know, best case a couple million dollars before you have generated any return, even put a shovel in the ground. And then, you know, once you get past that, put a shovel in the ground, which is a nice, you know, kind of milestone, um, and kind of what you were saying a second ago, now you're putting your, you know, construction financing in place. You're putting a lot more equity into the deal. You may be taking the land down at that point. Um, but on these projects again, that are roughly call it 250 units, that's, you know, it's kind of North of a hundred million, probably easily all in based on where land costs and, and, um, you know, and development costs are today. And so, you know, at that point you've got a, you know, what could be 60 or $70 million at least of, of debt. Um, and depending on the world and all kinds of other factors, um, you know, we talk a lot, obviously in our, our business about guarantees, um, you know, completion guarantees, you know, potentially repayment guarantees, um, you know, so imagine, you know, literally signing your, and these are not things we, we like to do, but we have, we've done historically on a limited basis. But, you know, I think for folks who haven't done that, it's, you know, imagine, you know, if you were going out to buy, buy a home, basically signing on the dotted line so that, you know, down the road, God forbid, you couldn't make your mortgage payment, you know, the lender could basically come back after you to repay that personally. Um, so not, 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 not something we like to do, and obviously a bad word in our business, but um, to your point, there are all types of risks, um, you know, both capital structure, the deal itself. And then I think, you know, the, the biggest thing that's probably often overlooked. So again, now you got millions of dollars and, and in our case as a private company, you know, we're utilizing our capital and our balance sheet and that's our money. Um, so, you know, we, we cannot make mistakes. We're very much aligned, I guess, you know, is, is another way to put it. Um, But I think what also gets overlooked, you know, we've got the deal itself, you know, the team, I think all of this at the end of the day, like any business starts and ends with the team. Um, And that's, you know, that's us, we may have a capital partner, Uh, we've obviously got a partner on the debt side, Uh, we've got a whole team around us that we've built, um, the design team, the consulting team. Um, And I think that's where it starts and ends. But, uh, you know, you also look at, uh, you know, all the things, Kevin, that we don't control, right, in, in the macro economy. Um, and there are lots of things. You may have the best deal, the best team, um, and you know the world can change. We're obviously living it right now, and have been over the past twelve or so months. Um, you know things can change very quickly, um, and so I think you know we spend a lot of time. Um, again, the the, the the team, the team that that matters tremendously, but making sure that as we're the deal structure itself, because um, again we're cherry picking a couple deals. We're not a huge volume shop we, we, we basically got, we've got to get every deal right. Right. It's our money. We're tying it up for, for the long haul. And so, you know, as we, you know, I guess we talk more about this on the risk side, but there are just, there's so many things that I think, you know, unless you kind of are in our business day to day, um, there's so many things that we do not control, right. Mm-hmm. Can execute and do all these things right. And you may hit the cycle at the wrong time. You know, you may have a capital structure, you know, where you've got to be out of a construction loan today where the world is. Um, And so, you know, again, there are just so many things that, that we, we do not control in this business that can really come back to, um, to hit you really hard. If, uh, you know, again, if you're not, and this is much easier said than done, but really setting deals up for the long haul, you know, in terms of how they're structured, as well as, you know, having a lot of, you know, time and money kind of solves all problems at the end of the day.
0: Mm -hmm. And so in all of that, going back to the original thing and apologies for giving you such a massive thing to swing at, um. Is there one element of, you know, the the myriad of challenges that come to the developer that, that you guys feel is the most impeding of your forward progress at the moment?
1: Yeah, I'd say, I mean, today we're it's quite an interesting time, right? Uh, the last decade plus, you know, if you were in our business, it was very hard to really screw things up, right? You had free capital, mm-hmm. free money, um, you know, uh, it was hard to kind of to, to do things wrong, I think. You know, I think some of this, none of us have a crystal ball, um, but I think today, you know, experience matters, you know, having that capital, having that balance sheet, taking a long view, you know, maybe being a little contrarian, um, you know, that I think the experience of having been through cycles, um, you know, and and sort of having conviction and belief in the markets and kind of what you're doing, kind of looking through and kind of past, past this is really important. It's hard um, you know, especially when it's your money. Um, but I think today in terms of, you know, if you ask, I guess what you're asking me, what, what, uh, you know, what's slowing us down or giving us some pause, I just think from a macro standpoint, you know, and none of us ever have a crystal ball, but you gotta, it's really, really important, especially times like this, to have a view, you know, in terms of where, where we believe the cycle is going, where we are, um, and obviously how that's going to impact, you know, any type of investment opportunity we're looking at, um, You know, today it's, I mean, and this is the benefit of having partners who've been doing this, Kevin, for over 50 years. You know, we're all constantly learning, Um, never seen it all, Uh, but uh, it's sure nice to lean over to Rod, who's, you know, by the way, a lot of folks in our business haven't seen, basically haven't been in this business to see rising interest rates Mm -hmm. Um, and to lean over to Rod, who's, you know, kind of lived through the the, the 70s and, you know, 18% plus interest rates and, Um, you know, as we're kind of thinking about things, um, but I think right now it's just hard as we sit around and kind of talk about some of this and talk to a lot of people in our business, far, far smarter. Um, it's very hard to have a view on like, and kind of where this is all going. It's Mm -hmm. it's very very unclear. Um, and, you know, and by the way, even if you do, we're, we're probably wrong a lot of the time. It's like the good old pro formas, Kevin, that we all, you know, we grind on, you know, yep. <laughs> if, there's, if there's one guarantee, it will probably be we'll, we'll be, we'll be off in every element, right? Two to three, four, five years from now. Um, so I think that's hard, just having a sense of where we're headed. It's just, it's very, very unclear. And then um, from a macro standpoint, and I think, you know, a lot of our business being, you know, doing a lot of entitlement work, working, you know, doing a lot of public private, working with government. Um, you know, I think the regulatory environment, making sure that, you know, in the markets that we operate, this is more regulatory kind of policy, but that, you know, we've got obviously this massive housing crisis that we're deal- dealing with, but just, you know, being a part of that, being a part of that conversation as an industry, um, but making sure that the pendulum doesn't swing too far one way or the other on certain things, um, you know, that could have a, a, a real impact in our business like that. Um is, is probably another one that we, you know, where we spend a lot of time.
0: Perfect. And, and, and actually um, I'll
1: throw in one more thing. Sorry. I'll throw in one more thing because this is just a wacky <laughs> time. Uh, construction financing, right. And we'll talk a lot more about the why, but uh, I just, I think it's going to be, um, it, it's going to be really, really hard. It doesn't matter who you are, big company, small company, huge balance sheet, whatever, you know, great deal, great sponsorship, you know, everything kind of right up the fairway. Um, I think it's going to be very, very challenging for the next couple of years to get construction financing on any one deal, let alone, you know, if you're a bigger shop, five or 10 deals. Um, and that's not a good thing for a lot of reasons, but, you know, especially here as we look in our backyard, you know, we're obviously facing a massive housing crisis and digging out of a big hole and you don't have to look back much further than GFC and, and how housing production dropped off. And mm-hmm. I think, you know, and again, this, this is going to be a bit different, but I just... I think as we kind of look at the environment and what's just starting to happen, I don't even know that we're in the first inning of this thing with, you know, what, what needs to work through the banks on the commercial side and we're going to see some losses in multi, you know, as as rates have reset. Um, but I just, I think it's going to be very, very hard to get construction financing over the next couple of years. And as a result, we're going to see a a very material potentially dip in, um, in production, which, which, you know, is not a good thing.
0: Yeah. Um, uh you, there's, you're putting a ton on the table here, which I love, and it's exactly how I knew this would go, but you're, you've already sort of uh, given more than sufficient evidence that you've got mastery over this, but right at the beginning, you said, you know, I never really planned to be here. So how the heck did you end up at Monarch?
1: Um,
0: and we'll come back to the macro and yeah, managing yeah. the political construct and all of that.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm um, very bittersweet, Kevin. Um, so I... Uh, um, you know, I grew up in San Diego. Was incredibly fortunate to um, to get a scholarship to to go to University of Michigan. Got to study business undergrad and 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 play golf. Um, and honest to God, I thought you know, and I and, you know, obviously remember back to when you were like 18, 19 years old. Like you know, your obviously worldview is 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 you know pretty narrow. You kind of know what you know, but there are all kinds <laughs> of things that you don't know yet, even though you think you do. Right. Um, and I got to Michigan and I met, I met my husband, who's my husband. And yes, this was, uh, God, how long ago now? 20 something years ago, 22, 23 years ago. Um, but I met my husband, Jason, there, which changed my life. And I, I guess for a lot of reasons, Michigan, kind of that, that whole opportunity to, to, you know, get out of San Diego, you know, whole, whole new kind of life experience um, beyond just school. Um, golf, by the way, is, you know, obviously an individual sport and very, uh, I would argue a very, very selfish sport. Um, and to take that into a team environment, um, was, was something that, um, you know, I sort of carry with me to this day, you know, from a kind of a leadership and kind of team standpoint that gets kind of, I think in a good way, um, you know, just sort of drilled into your head at, at Michigan, um, the team, the team, the team. Um, but, uh, anyway, so, you know, get to Michigan, uh, I met my husband there, um, and, you know, he, he was in grad school finished before I did. Um, I think when I got to college, all that I knew was, uh, was golf and I thought I would play professional golf and that's kind of where my mind was. And, and mm. that, that, that changed, you know, as I saw that there was this whole other world out there of things to do and that golf could be, um, you know, uh, beneficial. I could still play for the rest of my life and it could come in handy in business. And, um, so, you know, just a lot of things changed kind of over that time. But I, I followed Jason um, to Chicago after I graduated um, and uh, worked, as you mentioned earlier, uh, doing investment banking out of college um, at, uh, at UBS. Um, and uh, amazing experience. Um, I don't know that I thought I would do it forever, but it was a way to pack many, many years of, of work into into a few years and just kind of learn the nuts and bolts of how you value things, you know, in this case, it was, it was companies, but it, but very applicable to real estate and, and lots of other things. Um, and I think, you know, from that experience, I was super fortunate And this, I think, I don't know, we could talk about all this stuff all day long, Kevin, but, um, I just, I've been very lucky in life that, um, it's not the sort of the company, the name on the door, it's the people, you know, that you always come back to. And I worked for an amazing group of guys, um, who, you know, stayed in touch with to this day, um you know, who, who taught me a hell of a lot. Um, and part of that, after I got there, um, my older, uh, brother JP passed away very suddenly of a brain aneurysm. Mm. Um, it's kind of the, whatever it's one of the you know, worst things you could ever imagine outside of being a parent and losing a child. And so I, um, went back to what came back to San Diego, um, obviously was with family. Um, and it just, it, it changed everything. I ended up staying at UBS another year, about another year, but, uh, but that Kevin just, you know, it changed everything. And just kind of in terms of life perspective, um, you know, my, my brother was in his early thirties, um, at that time I was, gosh, I was 22. Um, and, uh, you know, through that and, you know, again, very bittersweet, but that was really it just wanting to be closer to home, closer to family and, um, you know, around that same time. So this was kind of 0405, um, you know, the market was red hot, um, uh, the guys at Monarch had built, uh, quite a portfolio of, 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 apartments coming out of the, um, you know, forming the company, like we talked about coming out of the Gulf war recession. And, um, we're basically selling everything to condo converters, um, mm-hmm. and trying to figure out, you know, love the business, kind of what do we do next? Um, so there was this incredible business opportunity as well, but again, very kind of bittersweet and, and a lot of it was driven by, um, uh, by Know, by by JP passing away, yeah, uh,
0: that's uh, horrible. I hadn't heard that story. Sorry about that.
1: Yeah, it's very again. I don't know a better way to put it into words, but um, uh, but yeah, that that's what brought us back. So you know, obviously, think about him every day, and um, there's a lot of good things that came out of that. Um, but wouldn't I don't think I would be would have been kind of back here otherwise.
0: Yeah, um, it brought you back home, and it got you in the family business, and. I guess that's, yeah. Well, you've mentioned it several times, um, the team, right? And I I believe there's about 14 people at mm-hmm. Marnik between the, the sort of in the hallways, in the office, driving the business. And then um, you mentioned you guys are either a lead or affiliate GC to sort of control or heavily influence the vertical construction. So you've got guys out in the field as well, um, through all of the cycles, you know, going back to what you just said with Rod and kind of hyperinflationary times with high interest rates, and you know the inevitability of this whole marketplace looking at data at the same time and making decisions in, in unison, indiv- individual decisions in unison that basically create these cycles. Um, there's inevitably sort of difficult times and really good times, and scale in the face of that kind of macro um phenomena is sometimes difficult to reconcile with do you stay small do you scale up um what how have you guys thought about you know weathering cycles and and the size of the team um to kind of be built you know to to endure and and to be able to capitalize on opportunity when it shows up
1: yeah, that's a really good question, Kevin. I mean, there's obviously, and you see this every day, right? And um, right we both do. there there are a ton of different ways to set up companies and to be successful. Um, for us, I think what we've figured out, and you know there are probably a million different things we're not good at. I can tell you a lot lot that I'm not good at. Um, but we've we've kind of found a mousetrap and um, in and in a, in a, you know, kind of talk a little bit about how we're set up that has worked really well for us, and we've stuck to that. Uh, We've been really, really disciplined about um, staying in apartments in Southern California, Um, you know, the things, you know, the couple things that we know inside and out and live and breathe every day Um, and not, you know, and, and just, and this was, again, just kind of our comfort zone and where we felt was kind of our sweet spot, staying small. So you mentioned, you know, we've got about 14 people. Um, I bet you every single one of those outside of, um, our associate, who's now been with us for a couple of years and hopefully will be with us for the next 20, we've all, we've all worked together for 20, 25, 30, even more, right. So in some cases years, um, and, and really, you know, again, back to the kind of the family business, um, where everybody, you know, kind of aligned, uh, has skin in the game. Um, and for us that's worked. So again, you know, our sweet spot, staying in the markets and the product type that we know really well uh, know the politics know how to you know uh, work with government all those relationships being very important um, wood frame construction that that is all that we do we haven't gone concrete type one so in, in a lot of respects have kind of stuck with what we we know and from a size standpoint we like being able to you know again if we're doing call it those three to five institutional quality deals at any given time you know and, and those you know, Kevin Wright could be at different stages. So we could have one deal that's literally finishing construction right now. We could have another that we're starting that could take a couple of years before we put a shovel in the ground. Uh, We could have a few more things in the pipeline, right? So they're all kind of at different stages, but that's kind of our sweet spot. It it allows us to, um, you know, just have, I guess, the most optionality or flexibility. So we can put our balance sheet to work in those deals. Uh, We can bring in partners and we do that more on a one-off basis, um, you know, tied to each deal. But it just, it, it lets us set up kind of the, you know, just for us, what we believe is kind of the best structure and not getting too far over our skis. So, and and that comes in a lot of shapes and sizes, right? But in terms of not getting over our skis, in terms of, you know, risk and capital, um, not getting over our skis in terms of all the, all the stuff that happens, um, you know, on the construction side. Um, and then I think just from a people and a time standpoint, right, making sure that, um, it allows us to be incredibly hands-on. All of, all of the partners, again, we all love this business. I mean, you know, we've got a, a, a whole team, but we are incredibly hands-on too, all the way around. And so, you know, when you've got a few deals like that, you can be intimately involved every step of the way. Um, and I think, you know, that that plays out through the whole life cycle of the deal. But I think, you know, one of the things we found and we're really proud of is. Um, you know, every single project that we do, because we are so hands-on every step of the way, I think it really shows up in the kind of the quality. Um, and we're looking at these things as long-term owners. And I I think that's another huge piece of this, Kevin. So, right. As the business has become a lot more capital intensive, you know, much more institutional, um, you know, it's maybe a little bit rare to see companies like us who, um, you know, we're really trying to set up each one of these projects, um, you know so that we can own them for the long haul and, and you know times may change it's not like we fall in love with the real estate we may still sell some things from time to time but um, in each one of these projects I mean it's a tremendous amount especially in California you know to to get all the way through the you know finding a great project taking it all the way through the entitlements you know all the all the risk that comes with that that we talked about and in construction you know getting them leased up we kind of get there and you know, you want to reap the rewards of all these things that you put a lot of time and effort and obviously take a lot of risk to, um, you know, to kind of get to the other side. So, you know, we're, we're trying to set things up in a way that um, that allows us to really kind of hopefully pick our timing, but to be longer term owners.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, before we move into that, because the, the whole capitalization and capital stack and, you know, kind of building to own versus merchant building is is something I think we can unpack Um You had just mentioned, you know, kind of creating alignment. I have a friend who's part of a wealth management shop up in Seattle, and one of his mantras is, tell me how you're paid and I'll tell you how you behave. Um, (laughs) And it proves to be true over the long term, like in the near term, it may not, but over the long term, it does. Um, How do you guys create alignment in the team? I'm not, not looking for, obviously, keys to the kingdom or anything that's proprietary, but you have any thoughts about how to get people aligned with, um, you know, long cycle deals? I mean, I'd, I would imagine from A to Z, you can be, um, well, let's assume that it's a, an asset that you stabilize and sell. You could still be five to seven years from inception to, to yeah. you know, sale.
1: Yeah, yeah. No, and that's what's crazy, Kevin. I mean, we're literally finishing a project right now. I was telling my son who's eight. I started, you know, we all started working on when he was, and this is how I remember it, but, you know, when I was nine and a half months pregnant with him, I mean, it's uh-huh. crazy, you know, <laughs> um, totally crazy. Uh, so, no, but I think to your question, there's, I, I guess I'd come at it two different ways. Uh, the first is just from the, and this is more maybe the soft, kind of the qualitative piece, the culture of our company, which I think starts and ends with what, what, what Rod and Ryan and my dad and Tim created and hopefully kind of carrying through. Um, you know, when you've got a shop of 14 people, we're lean and mean, everybody's wearing a lot of hats. Everybody, you know, is, is pulling their weight. Um, but you know, I hope we've created a culture and this is kind of the leadership piece at the end of the day, um, where I think you see, and this has certainly kind of come through to me and why we love this business. Um, you know, there's a real authenticity from the top down. Uh, we love this business. We're incredibly passionate. I mean, you know, Rod, you know, et cetera, like he could be doing other things. I mean, he loves this business inside and out. You know, every day is a new day, a new challenge, you know, learn, you're always constantly learning being challenged. Um, so I think, you know, just sort of capturing that in the culture. Um, and there's just this, I would, I'm going to try and boil it down this authenticity of leadership and really having a passion and just being, we're, we're incredibly relentless, Kevin. Uh, we're nice, but we're incredibly relentless. Um, uh, you know, so I think that piece of it, and then you take that and you combine that with, I think kind of what, what you were getting at, which is not complicated. Um, everybody's got a, you know, a, a sort of, the, you know, working on the deals, right. That have a, a, a piece of the action and there's alignment,
0: mm-hmm. um,
1: you know, and in the case of the partners, like we've got real, you know, material skin in the game. So not only are we, you know, I think, you know, hopefully there's a lot of alignment within the company itself, but when we're, you know, working with other partners and whatever shape that may come, there's an incredible alignment there in that partnership as well. And all these deals because of that.
0: Yep. Um, so look, it's worth saying it's like June, uh, twenty twenty-three. So let's go back to the, the conversation, uh, on the macro, right. And what we were saying, <laughs> Hey, what's difficult about the current, time frame what's making it you know the the, what's the biggest impediment to possibly moving forward and your comments were like hey it's kind of hard to have a really strong conviction to a particular viewpoint given how much uncertainty is um in the marketplace so you know for kind of priming the pump here like we just did the debt ceiling uh projections are that u.s debt hits like 50 trillion by 2030. And we're at like 26 trillion now. Um, we all know COVID put $9 trillion into the, the system. Um, I guess 29% of the money supply showed up since 2020, I guess maybe some of that's coming back with the quantitative tightening, but maybe inflation peaked around 9%. There's still $17 trillion of cash at the banks, just excess, uh, well not necessarily three and a half trillion more than trend lines still sitting out there. Um, The bank deposits are down, but you know, I did a little research. Down like 500 billion, which in the scope of 17 trillion isn't huge. But the loans aren't repaying um, because refinances are difficult and costly, and it's better to stay with the debt you have. That's slowing production. We've got like what three banks that have failed, so everybody's looking for deposits if they want to have a banking relationship with you or extend you a loan. Um, The ten-year treasury was two and a half percent a year ago. Now it's like 375, but was up to 4% just recently. And prime a year ago was three and a half. And I think today we're at eight and a quarter. You know, to say it's a difficult time is a bit of an understatement. What's interesting though, is there's not like the kind of distress that we all saw in the great recession where it was clear, you know, we're moving to risk off and you know, looking at the paper was probably better than looking at the asset. And, you know, that I don't know that we're going to see that kind of thing um, now. But, you know, knowing the direction to go and, um, you know, you made a comment on construction debt and the scarcity there. But, yeah, what are your thoughts on you know the macro? Like, where are we going from here? Where cap rate's going? What kind of construction's happening? What's going to happen with office? What's going to happen with yeah, there's a million things we can go from here, but
1: yeah, there's a lot there. I mean, Kevin, I don't know anyone. I don't know about you, who 12 months ago, back to kind of how you teed this up, would have said, "Hey, fast forward 12 months, you know, uh, we're going to have, you know, so is going to be north of five. You know, Fed will have moved rates five, five, you know, 500 plus basis points. Uh, I mean, just the pace. You kind of look back, the pace uh, of that change has been pretty damn. Rapid. I mean, it's obviously it's caught, caught caught our entire economy off guard, let alone our industry. Yeah. Um. So, in terms of where we go from here, again, <laughs> and this is the you know the humility. I think what what our business instills in us because you none of us have that crystal ball. We gotta we gotta have views. We gotta make decisions. We gotta look at all this. Uh, but again, I think this is. You know, I was talking to Rod about this the other day. I mean, this is. This is a, uh, in terms of the, the different points and the cycles that, that we've experienced. And I think you got to go back way before this, too, and really look at history. I mean, there's a lot to this, You kind of learn, learn some lessons, even though it's always a little bit different. Um, this one's pretty damn hard to, <laughs> it's complicated and hard to kind of see a force through the trees and kind of, you know, to analyze. But my, I guess, our sort of personal view, um, you know, I think the Fed is very committed to stay the course um, and that it's going to be sticky. And they're mm-hmm. walking, obviously, a, a very big tightrope here. I don't know if we see stagflation, um, but, you know, I think, you know, in terms of how we're looking at things, um, you know, I think, thing, you know, rates will remain somewhat elevated for for the next little while, you know, whatever that is, the next couple of years, um, you know, as, as the Fed really taps down on inflation. And and that may have some, you know, that, that may, may really hurt in some places, but my sense is they're going to stay committed to this. Um you know, even, you know, if we do dip into recession, um, but, you know, in terms of what that means for our business, um, you know, I think we're still Kevin, and, and this is what, you know, what, what's unique maybe to our business, right? Uh, things take time,
0: you know, mm-hmm. as,
1: as these cycles play out and evolve, um, you know, we, we would expect, you know, I think, you know, you talked about the banks and what's happening on the office side. I mean if you talk to anybody it's that's not an area that that we know well. Uh, we've done some entitlement of office um, but I think you know that's a very, very hard place to be and if you talk to I mean, there are a lot of very, very smart office owners, investors, developers um, I just think it's hard to say what that what that market and what that that industry looks like um, over the next kind of two to three years as it evolves kind of post covid um and so I think with that, um kind of what you alluded to um I don't even know that we're in the first inning of what's coming there with all these loans that are maturing. Um, that, you know, it's just this perfect storm of, you know, obviously massive interest rate movement that's happened very quickly, you know, debt that's got to be taken out over the next couple of years. And you can see all that in these kind of the wall of maturities, um, vacancy way down. I mean, we're already starting to see, you know, pretty large buildings and very big owners handing back the keys in big cities throughout the country. Um, and and as you know too, like all this takes time, right? So mm-hmm. when when any given go back to the micro, right? There's a an office building in downtown, whatever it may be, or suburban, whatever it might be, um, you know that may get kicked over to special servicing. That you know it just this stuff takes months and months and months to kind of work its way through the system to the other side. And while that's happening, and that's just the banks, um, you know, you've also got you know major institutions who have exposure. Um, And may not be marking to market on a daily basis, but they're doing that kind of, they they lag a little bit, maybe 60, 90 days to the market. And so all that's going to take time as well. And until, you know, I I guess kind of zooming back up to the macro, but until, you know, those institutions, whether it be bank or, you know, an institutional investor, um, you know, sort of realize those losses and kind of right size their books you know, there's not going to be a lot of lending capacity in the system, right? Uh, And that's that that and equity, right?
0: They're going to reserve for those losses and put a bunch of resource on them and try to minimize their exposure.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And to your point on that, and back to, I guess, you know, our world and where we're focused on the construction side and the production, um, you know, if you're a bank that's, again, right, as you said, Kevin, I mean, you've got a pretty good view looking forward on your balance sheet of where those losses may be over the next two to three years, right? I mean, this isn't just like tomorrow, but this is looking forward over the next couple of years. Um, you, you're you're reserving capital. You may not be, you know, lending on the construction side at all because of the capital that you got to allocate there. Um, you know, you know this better than I do, but, you know, to go out and get any given construction loan today, I mean, just conventional, there are different ways to go about this, but that, you know, that's now at least from a bank, that's, you know, lower, you know, obviously lower loan to cost, loan to value, and, you know, probably eight and a half percent money, give or take. Right. Um, And it's very hard to, you know, even if you've got a willing lender, I think there's still liquidity there, but uh, uh, it's very hard to make those deals pencil for, you know, based on where land costs are and and, and construction costs. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Let's drill into this though. So let's go 18 months ago. Let's say, you know, we've got our 200 unit projects and, we're full speed ahead. I'll use your example. You know, we're, we maybe already own the land, or maybe we just have it under contract. We're now two million dollars into it uh, to get to permit ready. Mm-hmm. And eighteen months ago, we would have borrowed. Let's just say, tight spreads. You know, kind of frothier market. Um, I don't know. So for two fifty, so for two seventy right? right. five, right? And so for was 0.5. So you're talking about getting, eh. 3.5% money, and mm-hmm. if you size to the takeout, which at that time would have been, let's just say 4%, maybe even sub 4%, mm-hmm. you probably could have got LTC. Let's just take a swag at it. Maybe 75% LTC can get taken out by the then-in-place perm debt. Mm-hmm. And so your return on equity looks great. Your your cap on costs as a function of... Capitalized interest looks more, uh, you know, lower capitalized interest looks more attractive. And now you come to today, all your underwriting is completely out the window. SOFR is at five and a half or 5.2, whatever it's at today. And mm-hmm. and you're probably, instead of SOFR 250, you're probably SOFR 275 to SOFR 350. So exactly what you said. Now you're at eight and a half and you might be sizing your PERM to a five and a half percent rate, which means you know, 60% LTC is probably going to be pushing it. And mm-hmm. to it, more to your point, the banks are just going to be like, well, look, if we want to put out money, let's take the most attractive risk-adjusted returns and we'll offer you 50 or maybe 55. Um That's so, a completely different investment profile for the equity. And yet, if we're talking about San Diego, for example, you're still in a supply-constrained market. You, you still... Well, we could talk about costs later. Um, Mm -hmm. I think that's enough. Do you move forward? Do you move forward when the world changes that much on you? And it's like, right. So we thought we're going to put in 25 points of equity. Instead, we're going to put in mm, 45 points of equity. Do you still hold on the overall investment thesis? Or how do you?
1: Yeah. I mean, what you just described, thats quite a, maybe it's more than a triple whammy, right? Right. You you had between spread and, and your base rate. You know, two and a half, three times. You know, has gone up significantly, which you could have never forecast, especially this quickly. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, not only affects your your cost of capital, but now your leverage is a lot lower on top of it. Um, so, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's quite something, I, honestly, Kevin. I come back to you got to look at this from more of a macro, but always come back to the deal itself, each, mm-hmm. you know, at the micro level. I, it's very much going to be a case by case basis. And that's what we're seeing play out now is this all, you know, again, I, we're not even in the first inning of this thing, right? This is going to take time. Um, but I think if you talk to, I mean, you're on the front lines of this, you talk to folks on the equity side who are doing a lot of the capital raising, um, you know, to the extent, uh, people, you know, developers have time, you know, time is your friend, obviously and having capital. So kicking these things out, you know, trying to, you know, if you can't start today, can you start a year or two from now and buy some time, whatever that looks like. I mean, that's easier said than done. If you, especially if you own a piece of land and there's a carry cost associated with that. Um, but again, even in, in San Diego, by the way, it's one of the best performing apartment markets in the country right now. Um, you know, so the fundamentals look great, as you said, um, you know, across the board, I just, you know, given that a lot of these, and we're talking, you know, over, you know, big institutional deals require institutional capital, require a very large construction loan. Mm -hmm. Um, And if you are sitting today ready to put a shovel in the ground, right, it means you started that deal a couple of years ago before the world dramatically changed. And so all those things you alluded to, that's how you were underwriting it. Um, And so, you know, is your capital partner still there? Um, You know, uh, the bank financing is going to be very different. I mean, there's just, I mean, we're kind of in triage right now, you know. But again, because of that, I don't know that a lot of these projects get off the ground right now. Yeah. Um. And and it's it's a very very much. I wish there was you know an easier way to say this, but it's very much. Uh, I think it's a case by case basis. Um. You know, there are a lot of great institutions. You know, again, who've partnered with, with 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 us and 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 a lot of our um sort of you know our peers in the industry who, you know, you, you may have. And this is what's crazy, Kevin. Right, but you may have a great deal at Maine and Maine, you know, in San Diego or wherever that market is that, that still underwrites, um, you know, kind of in this, in this new world, but that, that equity partner, for example, may be dealing with all that stuff we just talked about, right. They may have redemption cues depending on how they're set up and if they've got a fund, um, they may have office exposure, right. I mean, they have, they may have lots of other reasons have nothing, have nothing to do with the, that particular sponsor, that relationship, that deal that, uh, you know, that you got to go back to the drawing board
0: um well there's another quality there too um and this maybe can be our segue over to the conversation of institutional but a lot of times when you know back in the day I think you guys had some exposure to actually it doesn't matter let's just say an, an institutional investment bank um you you are you've already made the distinction earlier about our money right and the institutions are Unless you're talking about a family office or or something very close to that. Uh, You're talking to a professional who's building their career and has, in my opinion, a lot more downside in making a call to make this kind of an investment. Let's just stay with the example I outlined. And they say, yeah, let's go. Let's take the 45 points of, of equity alongside Monarch Group. I think it's a good time to do it. There's a lot of exposure for them to do that. Now, when there's uncertainty on cap rates, the the levered returns are not as attractive. Um, I I think it that's another reason this becomes difficult. They're they're not as convicted as somebody writing their own check because it's not their money. They're really worried about at the end of the day getting fired.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, there's there's a lot you could go there, but yeah, you look at where the world is, all the uncertainty. You know, I was just talking to somebody about this more kind of anecdotal, but I think this is kind of right along the lines of what you're saying. So, you know, LA, there's just you know that market very volatile right now. Um, you know, you've got Measure ULA that passed and kind of went into effect um, a few months ago. Um, so, there's some regulatory stuff, you know, still coming out of COVID. Uh, I mean, a lot of lot of things happening there, but you know, you, you're seeing. And again, this is like very handful of deals because we're not seeing a lot of transaction volume given that <laughs> we're kind of at this crazy crossroads right now. But, you know, if you're that 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 guy or that gal at that institution, uh, that asset manager, or the project manager, who's kind of making that, um, you know, sort of th- th- that that deal person, right, who's who's going to investment committee, sort of putting their ne- neck on the chopping block at a time like this, you know, LA right now, there've been some some deals that have traded, you know, that traded a year or two ago that folks thought were great trades. And it's kind of that catch and a fallen knife that I'm just kind of making up a number that may have traded at 150. Now it's 130 and maybe it's going to be 110. So, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: you know, and and these are on core deals, by the way, this isn't, this isn't even on the development side. So, um, you know, if you're that person in that institutional shop, uh, is now the time to be sort of putting your neck out for something like that. It's, it's maybe easier and and maybe, maybe it's the right thing too, to do nothing. Sometimes it's better to do nothing for a little while. Um, and so I think, yeah, I think you're seeing that play out. Um, I think that's
0: exactly what's going to happen. Let's do nothing because there's just too much uncertainty, which only further cascades into what you were saying, which is there, there may be a macro pullback on all the stuff on the front end of the pipeline, the development side of the business. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, do you guys have a view on cap rates right now in terms of, I mean, obviously there's upward pressure when your perm rates are at five and a half, but we also have inflation. And if you think. You know being in hard assets is a good place to be in an inflationary environment. And then what does that do to cap rates?
1: Yeah, I think the context matters, right? Do you need to sell right now? Are you right. selling in this environment? Um, again, I think just talking talking to a lot of folks uh, who are kind of on the front lines of this and very market specific, right? Because you know, there, there's especially as we're seeing more supply in certain markets versus others, I think you know maybe we see a little more divergence. but, um, there's no question that if you've got to go out and sell, uh, you know, a, a, sort of a Class A multifamily deal today in a, you know, in a primary market, uh, Jesus, I mean, rates may have moved 75 or more basis points um, from from where they were a year ago. Um, I'm sorry, cap, cap rates. Yeah. Um, And so, you know, values, given all the stuff Kevin you walked through in terms of the debt, et cetera, et cetera, but you know, values are down, arguably, kind of 15 to 25 percent, and that really, you know, again, depends very much market by market. Um, I'd say, though, kind of the outlier, we've seen this a little bit, but again, just, there's just not a lot of deal activity, right? Because if you don't have to sell it, you're not going to. Um, but for like those A++ location deals that are just irreplaceable in great markets, uh, I mean, there was there was one that traded not too long ago here in San Diego, um, you know, you're still seeing sub four cap rates, but that's, you know, very much an outlier, Um You know, I think if you're looking, looking at stuff today, just say in our backyard here in San Diego and you had to sell, um, you know, you're probably looking north of, you know, four and a half to four, seven, five cap, Mm -hmm. but that's the real question. Do you have to, you know, do you have to sell?
0: Yep. Totally. Um, let's talk about institutional and in this business, you and I would agree that terms thrown around pretty loosely and with a lot of different implications, um, you just brought it up in terms of institutional equity partners. To me, you know, I kind of see it as two, as two things. One, it's a certain style of products and management, be that on the capital side or on the asset side. Um, and two, it, it's associated with longer-lived entities um, with a robust enough infrastructure that it can kind of hold, refine, and distribute knowledge usually for a competitive advantage, right? I think of like a Goldman Sachs or something. Like if you get on that platform, there's enough information in it that it's got a feedback loop that's improving its competitiveness on on the regular. Um, with that, I see you guys as an institutional shop. Um, I wonder how that, that word lands for you and, and what's it mean to Monarch? I, I guess even more importantly, would you agree? Uh-
1: Oh, I, I don't know, Kevin. That's an interesting one. Um, we've been, I guess we've been super, super lucky, fortunate to have incredible call it, in, you know, quote unquote, institutional equity partners and, and, and on the, the debt side as well. Um, and again, I just keep coming back to it cause it is our whole business it is relationships and people. Um, and so, you know, whether it be a Goldman Sachs, uh, you know, or other, other partners we've worked with, um, who are a lot bigger than us, um, uh, and have obviously much larger balance sheets, uh, tremendous uh, experience. And just, you know, again, we're seeing things, you know, I guess what we bring to the table, right, where there's this great sort of marriage and partnership. Um, you know, we're obviously very focused, you know, within a few geographic markets, kind of in our backyard here in Southern California on multi. And what's great about a lot of these, you know, is kind of you teed up these institutional partners who have these much, you know, obviously a much um, a bigger platform, a lot more breadth across CRE, across different funds, different products, et cetera. Um, you know, there's a wonderful kind of, you know, kind of a wealth of knowledge there that get that, that we get to kind of tap into, um, you know, kind of more of that kind of macro um, perspective. Um, but uh, I don't know, I guess maybe we fall somewhere in between, but it comes back to these partnerships that we have with those bigger institutions. And maybe that's why you would describe us a little bit that way. Um, but we've just, again, been very lucky to have, you know, repeat business with um, a handful of partners who, again, are much, much bigger than us. And, and, you know, so much of this, you know, like, you know, obviously this business, very, very cyclical, you know, you go through the ups and downs. We're kind of in one of those right now. And, um, we've certainly been there before and we've had incredible partners, again, much bigger than us who had lots of other things going on who could have, you know, you know, we were the little, you know, fly on the, you know, kind of fly on the wall, if you will, but hung in there with us and, um, you know, came out the other end, you know, uh, obviously very, very successful. Um, you know, it's just kind of back to those long-term relationships. So, so yeah, I mean, I, I guess some of that makes sense, but...
0: Well, but look, here's, if, if you, um, I'll, I'll go like a slightly different direction. If I were to define you guys as like a scrappy, smaller development company, where that might typically lead to problems is that the manager's, principles, however you want to label it, um, and it's not typically, but I'll just say I've seen this happen, you might be enamored with hotel or you might do a large master plan land, land entitlement deal uh, on, you know, a couple of hundred acres, or you might try to do an adaptive reuse of uh, office to apartment and, you know, put sort of echoing what you said, um, your own mousetrap, SoCal multifamily, wood the right size for us the right number of investments the right size of team so we can remain hands-on like that to me is what makes monarch feel institutional the rigor that you guys bring by just staying in that single lane over and over and over nobody's telling you to do that right a lot of entrepreneurs chase shiny stuff like hey that looks interesting let's go do that um I don't know any thoughts on that kind of a.
1: Yeah, there's. a... I mean, don't get me wrong, because you, Kevin. You know my partners too. I mean, we we, we love to do deals, um, right. but 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 that the fact that it is our capital, we are taking a lot of risk, um, just inherently, kind of in the business that we're in. Um, it it's forced us to be very very disciplined and very very picky, um, and so if that equates to, I guess, when you keep when you say institution. There's an institutional knowledge for sure um, that, you know, that again, I'm lucky I get to tap into that goes, you know, Rod's been doing this well over 50 and you know, they told me to stop counting at 50 years, um, <laughs> but, but uh, you know, a long, long time. Um, so yeah, if you want to call that, that, that knowledge, that real experience, which is again, having been through a lot of cycles, been through a lot of ups and downs, learned a hell of a lot of lessons and and come out the other end time and time again, but taking nothing for granted in terms of going forward. Um, sure, uh, I guess we'll, we'll take it. But but there's right. a part there's a partnership there with those institutions. And I think why it works so well. Um, yeah, maybe we bring a similar mindset based on that discipline and based on kind of who we are and where we're our setup and our culture. Um, but you know, we couldn't do a lot of the things we do without those bigger partners. And so, you know, where we've kind of found a sweet spot with that and these relationships. Yes, these are much bigger companies in terms of dollars and people and you know, all the stuff you would look at on the surface. But there's still, in terms of those, the people that are there that have been at those companies for a long time, um, there is still, I would say, a, a very similar kind of scrappiness and um, sort of entrepreneurial bent, if you will, to, to, to the, the folks that we've had a lot of success working with.
0: Hmm. That's cool. There's an alignment in terms of your thinking over how to run the business.
1: hmm mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, i'm going to go back to merchant building and your mention that monarch is trying to build to own so this is an evergreen conversation in, in my role in the business guys will say like hey we really want to build this to own it for the long term how do we do that i was actually having the conversation yesterday and a much smaller deal but we'll just keep the conversation in terms of points of leverage uh you know they have an attractive cap on cost so they may be able to get, say, seventy percent LTC. And then they're like, yeah, but we just want to refi everything out so we can get all our equity back and hold the asset and go do another one. And then, of course, we go back to the conversation we just had, which is, you know perm loans are five and a half percent. You're not going to get all your equity out. And then they've pretty quickly come to the conclusion, well, let's see if i if I sat and just clipped my portion of the cash returns, it's probably akin to like seven or nine years of cash flow if I were to just sell the asset at stabilization. And so they sell, they pay their cap gains tax, and then they do it again. And and all of a sudden you're a merchant builder as opposed to somebody that's able to build, stabilize, and own assets for the long term. Mm -hmm. Um, I know you guys have been successful in doing that. And I think in doing it in ways that are, uh, you know, it's not, you're not reinventing the wheel by any stretch, but they may be a little atypical for, guys who find themselves in the situation i just described and kind of don't really have any other choice than to build stabilize and sell and then do it again so i just wonder how monarch thinks about structuring your capital and you know it's not the right thing to sort of call it redemption rights but um you know being able to find partners that that allow you to participate in a meaningful way in the long-term ownership as opposed to getting shoved to the back of the bus and you know having this, this sort of synthetic drive to just ring the cash register to exercise the waterfall to actually get paid. How are you guys navigating all that?
1: Yeah. It's really, Kevin, is, I mean, you teed it up really well. It's really, and you see this every day, right? It's it's right. really hard, hard to do. Um, you know, 20, 30 years ago, you might be able to go out and get some crazy amount of leverage, put very little equity into a deal, obviously land costs, hard costs, et cetera. We're not anywhere near what they are today. So it was a different model. Obviously today, uh, much more capital intensive business, uh, to build any one of these 250, you know, again, institutional sort of quality size deals. Um, very, very expensive. Um, it's hard to do for a lot of reasons. Um, uh, I don't even know where to start. I mean, for us, I think and maybe where you left off there at the end, um, it comes back to, again, if you're able to put, you know, you got to have a balance sheet behind it. And some of this is, you know, we're only doing a few things. We don't, we're not trying to do a hundred, um, but you know, uh, basically putting like real meaningful skin in the game because it gets, this all comes down to control, right. And how you make decisions. So, you know, again, we may be a hundred percent of the deal that, that simplifies things quite a bit, right. Cause it's, it's our partnership kind of calling the shots, um, where we've got institutional partners, you know, uh, historically we've put a lot of skin in the game as well so that we're kind of side by side, right. We're not, um you know, again, you know, the less you put in the less, you know, all the, all the things you alluded to, right. The less kind of decision-making sort of controls and rights you're going to have on all those major decisions. Um, So, I mean, that's, I think how we've been able, a a big part of how we've been able to do it, but it's really hard in practice because um, again, every single one of these deals needs a lot of capital. So I think the, the sweet spot for us or kind of how we've gotten there it takes a few things to line up, but it, it, it starts with having the balance sheet in the capital, you know, controlling these, going out and finding these deals. Um, we would, you know, if and this is maybe just our DNA. And again, there are a lot of ways to do this, but like, we want to go find something that, you know, we can get into early. It may be really messy. That could be a Greenfield, Brownfield site, could be environmentally related, could be entitlement related, but um, you know, public, private, whatever that looks like. And Come, up, come in a bunch of different shapes and sizes, but like where there's like a lot of work that's got to be done that just kind of narrows the universe of competition. And if we can get in there early through relationships uh, that we've had for a long, long time and, and kind of work through all that, um, get time to p- potentially take the land down, um, that helps to kind of get to that that goal of kind of owning long-term. Um, and then, you know, I'd say, uh, another big part of that is just having a great, you know, if you boil it all down, is having a really, really good land basis.
0: Yeah. Well, that's exactly what I was going to say when you said yeah. complexity, right? Getting yeah. into those deals early that are complex and working through all of that may equate to having an attractive land basis because yes. what you could sell isn't what you bought.
1: Yeah. I, I would combine land that great land basis with time. So yeah. having the ability to be patient, having time in terms of how that, that, that deal is set up. Um, and then again, time and money solve a lot of problems, right? Um, so, you know, having that capital there ready to go. And, and it's funny, we were, as we look back, whatever, I'm kind of look back over a long period of time and, and this isn't always, it, it sort of works out this way, but um, you know, the, 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 I think the most successful deals that we've done when you look back um, have always been actually in kind of times like where we are right now, Mm -hmm. where, you know, it's very, very hard to see the forest through the trees, very, very hard to have sort of conviction and a view on where things are headed, you know, from a macro standpoint, a lot of other regular, I mean, there's just a lot of, you know, a lot of stuff flying around, a lot of risk um, and very, very hard to get things off the ground. But some of those projects were like, that were literally next to impossible that, you know, folks told you you were crazy or whatever, whatever. Um, It just seems like, you know, this contrarian being a little counter cyclical you know, doing things when, you know, um, and and being a little more active, you know, for the right reasons, you know, when, um, when everybody else is kind of, you know, is frankly licking their wounds and, um, and just, or maybe doing nothing um, uh, have, have turned out to be some of the better deals, but it's pretty scary to kind of hit the, hit the gas and go and put that capital to work and take all the risk we talked about when um, there aren't a lot of folks around you doing the same thing.
0: Yeah, and as one of the other guests I had on the show said, um, vintage matters, right? What What mm-hmm. you're talking about is we may be entering another year or two where um, it's a good vintage, right?
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah it could be. I mean, there's a lot of, obviously a lot of unknowns, but, you know, the the, the one, and it's the only good piece, because again, we all need, we, there's a lot more housing that we need to be producing, Um You know, maybe we see costs come in a little bit, Kevin, we're already starting to see this a little bit anecdotally. Um, And that, you know, would would certainly help this whole, you know, sort of equation that we've got to plug and puzzle we've got to put together to get any one of these projects off the ground to really make them work. Um, So, you know, that would certainly help. But uh, I just, I don't see a lot getting built for all the reasons we've talked about over the next couple of years.
0: Yeah, we just had a client come back with costs and it's the first time in a couple of years that their pro forma held, right? Like they went out to hundreds of subs and it actually held. So hopefully that's a, a good sign of things to come. Um, let's move over to the personal side because I, I want to respect your calendar and, and let you go at some point here. <laughs> and, um, so you have personally been involved with, you know, seven, 8,000 units, billion dollars of capitalization. Um, you've gotten into a lot of the you know history on how you got there, but it, you're also – um, you know, very capable and, and it's to mean I've known you right since the beginning, right? Which I didn't know some of that um, history in terms of where you were and, and how you come back to San Diego when you and I met, but it was right at that, you know, kind of 04, 05 time period. Um, what do you attribute your success to? Oh, um, God, there
1: are a lot of things, Kevin, but again, I think it starts and ends with, with uh, just relationships and people. So actually, and you, you teed it up perfectly. Um, uh, yeah, it's people and relationships. My mom and my dad uh, were really amazing about this, you know, um, just kind of not talking about it, but just setting a great example for how you treat people and how that comes back in spades. Um, especially when, when times aren't good. um, and so, you know, it's funny, I was thinking about this earlier, it's kind of, I was getting ready for this, but yeah, it is funny. So you and I met through ULI Young Leaders, mm-hmm. uh, like I'd probably right when I, uh, around the time I'd come back to San Diego and I'm literally having lunch tomorrow with Tony Youssef, who nice. was in that same group, Kevin. And I yep. talked the other day to Kelly Souza, who's now running every, you know everything for Wells Fargo ESG nationally. Um, yeah, it was quite a group of people and, you know, just showing up for, I think, you know, again, if I could boil it down, it's relationships, people, and just showing up for things. Um, especially, you know, in our business, you know, you were asking, we were talking a little bit the other day about failure, which I don't know, it's all kind of a frame, but, uh, you know, just not being afraid to put yourself out there, whether it's, you know, showing up for that cocktail thing that kind of sounds really whatever at the end of the day or after a long day or, um, you know, going after a big project, uh, maybe a little bit outside of your wheelhouse, but I think just showing up for things and being fearless, believing in yourself and having, Um, you know, a lot of support around you and not being afraid to ask for help. Um, And all of that comes back to just to having really good people around you. Um, And so I've been very lucky um, and kind of, I guess, some different sort of chapters of life um, to to always be surrounded by some really solid people who, you know, let me kind of run far enough, but also, you know, help pick me up when needed. Um, And so I think, yeah, I think that's probably the single biggest thing is is relationships and people.
0: I'm going to go way back to the beginning. It was something you just said in passing, but you said, um, you have a small team at Monarch and it's very blunt. And it's just like, I heard that. And I wonder how that might tie into this, uh, that you're talking about right now, relationships and how you guys all relate to each other.
1: Yeah. Um, you know, so I've been there now, I think it'll be 18, 18, I think 18 years, um, like the summer, um, you know, and, and, my dad and my uncle aren't as active. I learned a tremendous amount from them. Um, I continue to work with, with Rod and Ryan, my partner, Masise, and the rest of our team. But, you know, Rod in particular and Ryan, um, you know, and it's been on its merits, not family. Um, they've been as good to me and just set an example of what, what leadership looks like. Um, you know, uh, just, again, the passion for the business, Kevin, that she can't sort of put into words, but that they live and breathe every day. Um, and just being—I mean—they're phenomenal people and phenomenal. It's, they're the most phenomenal partners you could ever ask for. Um, you know, it doesn't mean—I mean, things have been crazy. I've been really good, by the way, not to curse. This is, this is really uh, um, yeah. I mean, things have been—you know—things things get crazy from time to time, but we always together, you know, find a way through it. Um, and so, I did. We're, you know, and this—I think a lot of it comes from Rod, kind of setting the tone and the culture yeah, we are small, we're scrappy, uh, we're entrepreneurial, uh, but we also can, can go toe to toe with the, with the big boys. And those are the types of projects and girls. And those are the types of, um, you know, really, really high quality institutional projects that we build, but we like being kind of lean and mean, um, and, and being able to, again, times like today where a lot of folks may be just sitting on the sidelines waiting to to see how things shake out that we can you know, we, we can do some things while that's happening and take advantage. But is
0: there an aspect of that bluntness that's like a cultural thing? I'm just trying to tease out like what that shows up as. Well, maybe uh, it's, you know, language and, and bluntness, right? Like, hey, like, what are you guys effing doing over here? Like, <laughs> right? I'm just curious because it sounds like it's a meaningful component of, of the recipe.
1: Yeah, maybe I'm wrong, but... yeah, and it's probably a little bit easier when you got a smaller team versus a big shop in some ways. But yeah, we've got a... We've got a wonderful group of people who've all been together for a long, long time and will hopefully continue to be together for a long, long time who are um, very much aligned and, and all love what we do. So it's just, it's fun, right? As crazy as our business is, like we, we have a lot of fun doing what we're doing most of the time.
0: Very good. Um, well, look, you've got two kids. I've got two kids. Uh, you obviously have a lot going on with the, all of the projects you guys are managing, some of which are very large scale Um what about the end of the day? Like, how do you, how do you step back from all of this and balance being a mom and being a friend and being active civically and, you know, running a business, uh, how to, you know, kicking up your feet, relaxing. Does that happen when it happens? What is it that you do?
1: Yeah. Kevin, you're in the, more in the throes of this right now that I am. My kids are a little bit older, but I know it's hard. Um, I don't know. I don't like the word balance. <laughs> I'm not sure that that <laughs> it, it exists anymore, but, uh, but I do know, at the end of the day, after kind of crazy—I don't know—every day is a little crazy. Um, uh, just coming home, I mean, it's just very grounding, right? To be surrounded—I've got an eight-year-old son and a six-year-old daughter, and uh, my, my husband, and obviously, and extended family, and amazing, amazing friends, um, who just put put so much into perspective. Um, you know my and these kids it's it's really scary actually, Kevin because my kids are still small too, and I'm just wondering what's coming next um but you know i i get some pre- I'm getting some pretty heavy questions lately, you know the meaning of life and da da you know da, da 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 it's hard at eight o'clock at night when your brain's fried um you know to have a have a good answer and and uh can't kick the can with them they don't let you off the hook um so uh I don't know it's just you know it's just showing up and being present um and making the most of the the time um you know, I'm on the road quite a bit. I know you are. Um, It's, it is hard. It's hard to be away um, from, you know, from your family and your kids. You don't get that time back. And so it is hard kind of juggling that.
0: Yeah. Um, Look, you mentioned Kelly Souza. Obviously, what I'm about to say won't strike you as anything surprising, but um, the commercial real estate industry is one that's i don't want to say dominated by men but like the vast majority of people who participated in are male um you are obviously a very high performing professional who happens to be a woman you've got a daughter um i wonder how you think about um, women in real estate i know there's like you know some groups out there i don't know if those are good or bad i i I guess i don't have any opinion one way or the other even though my tone might have suggested otherwise um I wonder how you think about women, you know, coming into the industry and being excellent. And it's usually my experience that the women who are in it are, are cut above, but you've had to sort of live through that and build a career in it. What kind of trials tribulations have been there and how do you think about it for your daughter if she's the third generation that might come into the biz?
1: Yeah. That's a really good question. I want to ask you the same, actually, but let me, let me answer this. Cause I know you've got a daughter too. And I know you think a lot about this. Um, yeah. So I guess where I would start with that, Kevin, this is super meaningful to me. I mean, my mom and 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 my grandmother, um, who's no longer with us, I mean, have, have really, as women in business, were really out kind of ahead of their time, um, kind of chipping away at that glass ceiling and, and different, not in real estate. Um, but but that's what I kind of, I guess, grew up around at the dinner table and, and what I saw every day, um, kind of my mom walking the walk, not talking about it um, and, and doing really amazing things with her career, despite, you know, despite a lot of challenges. Um, she was one of the first women um, at Harvard Business School, one of the first classes to have women at Harvard Business School and on from there, just, you know, um, a pretty amazing uh, professional career and one of the few women. Um, so really, for me, kind of set the bar that, you know, anything is possible. Um, uh, but, and I was also very, like, was very lucky for a lot of reasons too, But but I think a lot of it starts and ends with my mom um, just this idea that you could really, you could do whatever you want, kind of whatever you, you set your mind to and work hard and treat people the right way, et cetera. But you got to find, you know, find, find something that you're, you're really passionate about and go with that, whatever that looks like. Um, and so Kevin, this one's definitely near and dear to me, to me, because, um, you know, I've been in the industry now for, for almost 20 years between when I was doing banking and this and, um, yeah, there are very few women. And by the way, not just women, but just uh, minority, like again, just uh, the, the overall diversity, I think you've got to look at um, whether that's race, religion, gender, sexual orientation, right? That could take a lot of forms. Um, but, you know, I mean, this has been shown time and time again, but we still have a tremendous amount of work to do that, you know, teams, companies, etc., perform better when you've got, you know, diversity front and center, right? Mm-hmm. And, and the views and the, pers- the perspectives, et cetera, that that brings, um, you know, in our business uh, we've got a long ways to go and, and it's hard. Actually I've talked to my mom about this all the time that uh, her generation and there are a lot of other amazing women I talked to in our business too, who've been at this for a lot longer than me and, and, and us, Kevin. And, and, and there've been some changes and, and there are a lot of good things, but we, we do have a long ways to go for being honest. Um, especially when you look at in our business, uh, the women who are uh, kind of what I would say, touching the money, making investment decisions. Um, and you know, so, so we do have a long ways to go. Um, uh, but, but it, it comes, you know, it's going to come from all of us, uh, put, you know, sort of pulling people forward. Um, and again, sort of that, o- the overall diversity piece, um, you know, having, you know, uh, people at the table from kind of all walks of life uh, creating, creating room at that table. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and I've, you know, whatever we talk about this, but you know, yeah, I've had a lot of interesting experiences, especially when I was younger as kind of the only woman in the room in a lot of cases. And, um, you know, maybe that's a little bit of fuel to the fire and, um, sort of motivation. Um, but there, um, today, you know, there are some amazing, amazing, you talked about Kelly, um, you know, there are some really amazing women in our business doing some good things. We just, we need a lot more of that. And again, a lot more of diversity all the way around. It's, it's good for our industry.
0: Yeah. Is there a bit of that that you just touched on, which is uh, for those who might doubt, like, oh yeah, I'll, I'll, let, let me show you what I can do. Does that show up for you? Because I know for me, sometimes being contested is a good thing.
1: Yeah, I'd be bullshit. Okay, here goes the bullshit. Yeah, and that's about it. So you can bleep me. Uh, but yeah, of course, Kevin. I'm a competitive person. Uh, very exactly. competitive. I'm very competitive. So yeah, and we're all different. But uh, yes, that's how I'm wired. Um, yeah. So. Um, I love it. Um, so yeah, yeah. But but I've been, by the way. So but to your point on all that, like again, back to my partners. Um, I've had a lot of people who've always believed in me, regardless of you know gender, skin, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Um, very much kind of a meritocracy, which is pretty damn unique and something I really appreciate. Um, but uh, you know, having people around you in this case, you know, they, they were guys, but who who believed in me and didn't see all that stuff, and and was about performance.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and cr- yeah, that's awesome. Um, all right, shift a little bit, uh, and I don't know where this goes with you, but for me, I have. I don't get to do this every day and for for reasons that have to do with three and five year olds and other things that are just my own distraction. But I try to have daily routines that I use to get my head in the game. And I figure if I can get my head in the game on the, on the daily, then I've got a better chance of having a good year and string together a few good years and things start Mm -hmm. to change. Um, and those are, you know, sort of, uh, I, I, I don't want to call them a checklist, but, you know, some things that I'll review in terms of what my goals are for the quarter, for the year, and kind of who I want to be as a father and things like that. So, uh, and then perhaps meditation, but, you know, things I try to do at the top of the day to set the arena and then, and then carry on um, and exercise is a part of that just because it keeps me sane. lets mm-hmm. some of the demons out. Um <laughs> but I wonder for you if you've got any things that you do on recurring basis that you attribute to, um, you know, your own personal performance.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I mean, just growing up, I always always played a lot of sports was always very active and I guess as I've gotten a little bit older, Kevin, and we still got, we still got a good good run in front of us, but, um, just as I've gotten older and kids have been a big part of this is, um, just, you know, obviously love being active too. But I, I think over the last couple of years, just, recognizing, you know, you can work, work, work and grind, grind, grind. But, you know, you know, if, if, if I'm going to show up as my best self, whether that be, you know, as a wife, as a mom, uh, you know, family member, obviously at work, as a partner, um, you know, I, I got to take care of myself too, right? And I'm in this for the long haul. Um, it's kind of a marathon, not a sprint. And so, mm-hmm.
0: um,
1: you know, and I, I've still, you know, I think we've all got always sort of continue to evolve and grow. and um, lots of work to do, but I've gotten a lot better over the last couple of years of, um, you know, uh, I say this, it's, it's meant with humility, but like sort of putting myself first, taking care how I take care of myself and for me, kind of what what you said, I know you, I mean, you and I could ski all day long and all, all the kind of the outdoor, um, activity, but that for me is also, um, just really helps kind of, uh, fill me back up and, um, kind of, and think and get away. And I don't know, there's so many and and just taking care of myself physically. Um, so yeah, exercise is definitely a big part of that, whether that be, you know, out there ripping around, trying to keep up with, with you and all the guys on the mountain or, um, just hitting the gym or whatever that looks like, but just kind of mixing that up on, on, on that front. Um, but again, just coming back to this thing of like, how do I, I got to, if I'm going to do all these other things really well, I got to take, get better care of myself and show up as my best self. Right. And so, um, maybe being a little bit more, you know, just kind of intentional about that, um, making more time to do some of those things that help me, um, carving mm-hmm. that out versus grinding away hundred percent of the time, which I, I, uh, I definitely did that really well for, you know, for a <laughs> long, long time. Um, so yeah, I, for me, it's a lot of, uh, kind of exercise, physical stuff. Um, and the meditation piece you mentioned, um, I'm still trying to get that one kind of more consistently into the, uh into the routine, but I've been doing some breath work and little meditation, um, in the mornings, not as consistent as I need to be, but super, super helpful. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's it. And then, and then family, you know, spending time with, with the family too, right. Getting away. Yeah. From well, what
0: you mentioned of having the, the kids be that source of grounding, right. We, I have a tendency to think the world is very complex and, and, uh, you know, get kind of lost in my mind about whatever I'm thinking about. And, You know, last night we're sitting and playing old mate, like old mate. Are you kidding me? And watching my daughter like really freak out about the fact that there's two cards and one of them is going to be old mate and the other one she's going to win the game, right? It's just just priceless because it is what our life is about at the end of the day. So that is beautiful.
1: All of it, Kevin. I was, uh, I started, I don't know about you, like my memory's terrible sometimes. So I've started to write down some of the crazy stuff my kids say to me. I mean, it's just, it's comical, you know? And it, uh, yeah, it definitely, you know, lets you forget pretty quickly. They, they said to me the other day, because we've been seeing a lot of family the last couple weeks, you know, school's out. And, um, you know, my mom and dad divorced a long, long time ago when I was young. And so, you know, they're hanging out with grandma and grandpa. And, and one of them literally said to me, like, they that's your mommy and daddy? Like, how were they together? (laughs) I was like, oh God.
0: Why didn't you ask them?
1: (laughs) Oh my God. Exactly. That's exactly what I said, Kevin. Oh my God. But just stuff like that. I was just like, whoa. (laughs)
0: um you have left a lot behind here but i wonder if there's anything explicit you might want to offer to the entrepreneurs i mean clearly you are on that path have been on that path continue to be on that path the the idea of the developer as entrepreneur um the audience here i think is very much skewed that way um you know real estate people and and i'm sure there's more than a couple of people listening who are at the job uh wondering about you know what's on the other side of the fence and or, or they're early in their career and, or maybe they just got blown up, right? Thought they were the king of the, the world and hit some adversity, but any advice or insights you might offer to the, the entrepreneurs out there who, other than what you've already said, who might be listening?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is an amazing business. Um, I think what's always struck me is, and just being surrounded by some great people who have been doing this far longer than me, just the, the, the fact that you can do this business until, I don't know, I mean, as long as you want. And yeah, we all, you know, we fall down, you get back up and obviously it ain't for the fate of heart. um, But this is a phenomenal business, Kevin. There are amazing people in this industry. Um, I think just, again, surrounding yourself by people who share that passion, um, have integrity um, and are going to be there with you through good times and bad, Um, you know, and then just to keep, you know, to keep at it, to be relentless. Um, you know, I think it, that's a lot easier to do when you, when you love what you're doing and there's a real passion there. Um, but, uh, this is an amazing business. Um, you can do for a long, long time. Um, and, uh, again, I think just what we talked we talked about it, but just showing up, I think that that, that having good people around you, um, and not being afraid to show up, um, is, is a huge part of it and put yourself out there and, you know, we've all failed. We'll continue to fail. I'm sure a lot, but, uh, I mean, those are uh, just, I know for me and and a lot of the folks that we work with, I mean, that, those are, I hate, I don't know, I don't like the word failure, to be honest, but uh, just, you know, those are, those are the biggest times where you grow.
0: Right? totally You got
1: yourself up and you, you learn all kinds of stuff about yourself that you got to sit with and kind of work, work through. Um,
0: it's the same as the kids you hurt yourself and you think, Hmm, what did I just do? And can I not do that again?
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Uh, constantly. So I just, I, I just think, yeah, I mean, we all inside have a healthy level of fear sometimes. And I think it's just the stuff again, by putting yourself in a situation where you got really good people around you who support you no matter what. Um, that, uh, you keep putting yourself out there because good things will, good things will absolutely come of that.
0: Mm, I dig it. Um, Sarah, I think I've gone over a lot of time. I apologize for that. And thank you very much for taking the time. Um, I'm going to close it up here and give you the mic if you want to say anything in the, in the end here, but, uh, anybody who's listened this far, thank you for taking the time. Please go to your app and, the show my guys keep telling me I have to remind you of that and uh, Sarah thanks again for joining us if you want to leave anything on monarch group's website or obviously people have Google so they can find it on their own but uh, I'll give you the mic and then we can uh, sign off
1: no thank you Kevin this is uh, no it's been fun I mean it's just like you and I just chatting so um a lot of fun I hope it. I hope it was was, was helpful to folks out That's there fun. um but uh yeah I mean and you teed it up Kevin too perfectly I mean yeah. I mean, it kind of goes back to, uh, I, I remember when you and I met at ULI and all that stuff, it's, a, a lot of amazing relationships came out of stuff like that. So just very, very appreciative to be here and look forward to, um, you know, do, doing this kind of stuff and, and hopefully projects and all kinds of other things for, for a long time to come.
0: We'll see what the next 20 years brings.
1: Hopefully, hopefully 40, right? I mean, come on. Right.
0: Exactly. All right. Thank you, Sarah.
1: Okay. Thank you. Thank you.